Well, welcome to Vineyard Church of Hopkinton. My name is Sarah Schneider Watson. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whenever y'all are joining us online, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining in, making this a priority, spending some time with Jesus in the comfort of your own home, car, wherever you're listening to this from. Thank you. We believe that Jesus has something good for you uh, as you engage with his word, um, as you come together with your family, your family of faith um, throughout the community, your town and surrounding towns uh, to listen to the same message. Um, focus on the word of God uh, this morning or this afternoon, whenever you're listening to it. We're doing this together just separately. We have an amazing Bible passage uh, for our time together. I want to really encourage and equip us to invest in relationships and good conversations and really supporting each other well during this time. Now is a time to come together, not in large groups, and to support each other, not physically. But that's what we're going to be all about in our homes, through our phones, and that's what we're going to be about right now. Who your people are becomes even more important at times like this, when things are just different. And at times of stress, when we just really need each other, it's a great time to really invest in relationships. None of us go to great places by ourselves. We need other people to just give us that little push and pull into different opinions and places, into health and reality, uh, isolating physically stops the spread of this virus, but isolating emotionally increases the spread of panic and fear. None of us do well by ourselves. If I spend 15 minutes on Facebook, you know, I can feel it afterwards. It, it keeps scrolling through in my mind. I, I don't, I don't go to good places, you know, by myself. We want to care for each other well. And I really believe that there are opportunities in times like this for e for us to reach out well. Maybe some of us, you know, have a little bit more time, a little bit more wiggle room in our schedules. We have, may have opportunities to pray for our friends, to call or text a little bit more, to help in some really, you know, meaningful ways. And all of us will have like 85 opportunities to practice being a non-anxious, calming presence. So I want to talk about what our relationships and our conversations uh, should look like during this time, because relationships are what make up life and conversations are what make up relationships. How many of us have fallen into some shallow, superficial, and frankly, predictable and boring patterns in our conversations? Our conversations can be lists of stuff that, that we did. How's your week? Busy. How's yours? Oh, busy too. Sorry, I said everything. Busy. Now, now this week we're just talking about coronavirus. Um, and with sometimes even the people we talk to the most and care about the most, we don't always talk about the things that are on our hearts that are actually satisfying to us. Right now, everyone is talking about the big topic of the day, coronavirus. But are we talking about how we handle stress? Are we talking about prayer? Are we talking about where our nervous or anxious thoughts go to? Are we asking real questions about each other's lives? Like, you know, have you ever had a medical emergency? You know, um, people are talking about traveling. You know, talk about where people have been, life experiences, life stories. Um, 
people are interesting. We want to talk about more than just the right here and right now. We want to talk about the the past and the future and where people are really at with that. You know, as human beings, talking is our special skill. As a biological species, we are not the fastest, not the strongest, but what differentiates us, our special skill is talking and communicating. Other species that communicate, say, say whales, they've got this lag time. Human beings, we can formulate thoughts while we receive input of other people's thoughts as they talk. You can be listening to me talk right now and formulating very complex thoughts and reactions to what I say as I talk. Uh, we don't always appreciate it in e each other as much as we could, but that's a, a highly developed skill and our special skill as human beings. Even when we aren't talking, some of us are still talking to ourselves. But how many of us grew up in houses or homes where we didn't talk about our real feelings or our actual ideas or opinions? How often do we have real or deep conversations with our families? Let me throw out a couple of uh, questions to you and you can try these on for size. How often do you ever say to your, your good friends, your, your church friends, your uh, partner, somebody like that, how often do you ask them, how are you doing spiritually? How are you doing spiritually? Once a week? Never? How about this one? How are you feeling about life? Is that a comfortable question? Is that something that gets some air time? Or another one, what's your happiness level? What's bringing you joy? How, how are you really doing? What's, what's really making you happy? What's bringing you joy in life? I think that's a great conversation to ask over coffee, uh, uh, to ask when you're spending some time with people. You know, I talk about these things, you know, how are you doing spiritually? How are you feeling about life? What's bringing you joy or happiness? I talk about these things regularly with my husband, probably about weekly, um, periodically with my sister, periodically with my spiritual director, but beyond that, I feel like if I'm to if I'm to go there, it takes effort on my part. I gotta get up my energy for a real conversation. Cause it is just easier to talk about the weather sometimes. Gotta get my energy up. And I usually have to start by asking good questions. As we are quarantined a bit here, this is a good opportunity to have deeper conversations with family members. It might be a little different. It might be a little strange. You know, when Stephen and I adopted our girls a, a year and a half ago, um, one of the things I heard from them reasonably frequently in the first six months was, why are you asking me all these questions? Because I would ask them, you know, sometimes just these fun little questions. You know, what's your favorite song, favorite vegetable? You know, if you could be any vegetable, what vegetable, you know, silly little questions, right? And I'd say, why do you ask me all these questions? I said, because I care about you and I want us to have a good conversation. In a world of shallow conversations, we want to connect meaningfully to make eye contact and you know, maybe right now phone calls are better, but there's something about another human voice 
with inflection and tones that just speaks truth to our souls. Way more so than reading words on a page. Eye contact, tone of voice, it's incredibly powerful. We know that eye contact increases oxytocin levels. Oxytocin is the bonding hormone. Um, when kids run around the playground, they look into each other's eyes and then they get all happy and energetic and crazy. But it's a real scientific phenomenon that they see all these other kids, they make this eye contact and then they get hyper and run around crazy. It's because of the oxytocin and uh, we need oxytocin too in our, our lives. I'm super intentional about making eye contact with my kids. I'm always trying. Look them in the eye, look them in the eye. They, they come in, they're like, mom, can I have a snack? I turn around from the kitchen counter. I look them in the eye. What, what would you like? Sure, how about this? You know, but I really want to make every opportunity for that eye contact because I think it's healing and, and powerful. Um, and hearing other people's voices just speaks to our hearts and our souls in a way that just the words and the information can't. Our words matter and our relationships matter. And we want to live full lives, having meaningful conversations and deep relationships. So this morning or this afternoon, whenever you're joining us, uh, we want to look at one woman's conversation with Jesus. I think it has so much for us. So as we turn to that, I want to invite you wherever you're at uh, to just take a couple seconds, maybe a couple deep breaths. We're going to pray together. We're going to center our thoughts on Jesus before we turn to the scriptures. So just take a couple deep breaths. We think about you, Jesus. We turn to you, Jesus. And we pray that our souls, our hearts, would have life-giving conversations with you right now. That we would interact with you. Because we love you, we need you, and we believe that you have words of truth for our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture reading is from John chapter 4. Let's talk about Jesus. He's, he's traveling around a little, and uh, we are going to start in John chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. This actually was not true, guys. I'm just going to pause my Bible reading just a little bit. He did not have to go through Samaria geographically, that is. He had to go for the purposes of God's plans. He took actually a little detour to go through Samaria. Verse 5, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there. Now, sidebar, this is someplace that Jesus and his followers would have never expected to go. Jews and Samaritans did not have a good relationship. Jews thought that Samaritans were not good Jews. They had intermarried with non-Jews. They had theological differences on how to worship God, namely where worship was to be centered at, and we will get back to this later. There had been some bad incidents between Jews and Samaritans over the last couple of decades, but suffice to say, they had had their differences and a lot of prejudice between them. 
Verse 6, Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. She was by herself going at a bad time to draw water during the heat of the day. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at this time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? That is, why are you here? Why are you talking to me? And Jesus' response, he just I came for you. You are actually exactly who I want to see. Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Water is used in Jewish and Samaritan terms for revelation, for spirit. The gift of God is salvation. Jesus is saying, if you knew who I am, you'd ask me for new life. Verse 11, but sir, she said, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? She does not get it. She's like, look at reality. Rope, bucket, how is this all going to work? Besides, we have a lot of tradition in our way of doing things, our religious ancestors, Jacob and all of that. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of the loneliness, tired of the, just the drag of life. Yes, I want better, she says. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you are right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Why is Jesus bringing this up? She was eager. She said, yes, give me this good stuff. Jesus is saying, before I give you living water, let's talk about your substitutes. You've had some hurt. You've filled it in the wrong places. Before I can give you the real thing, I want to help you identify the false thing. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? It's getting a little personal, getting a little uncomfortable. She changes the subject. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming 
Indeed, it is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus doesn't give her a yes, no answer to her theology question. He points her back to himself. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask him, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to this woman, Now we believe you, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. She has a voice, a story, and good news to share. Others listen to her, and she leads many to Jesus. I love this story. I love this story because Jesus went where he was not supposed to. You know, sometimes we have to go where other folks choose not to go. We have to do what other folks choose not to do. We have to talk to people other folks choose not to talk to on a real level, not just a superficial level. And I love this story because Jesus gave her dignity. He valued her by asking her for help. You know, he lowered herself to to a level of needing something from her. Can you give me a drink, he says. Hey, I see something that you could help me with. He listened to her, took her questions. He let a woman question him. And when she was in a position of value and agency, then he said, let's talk about some real stuff. Jesus doesn't want to swoop in and save us on a low note. He doesn't exploit our weakness for religious purposes. He empowers and lifts up. And then he says, hey, let's talk. And I love this story because she was hurt. She had some real hurt and she went to fill it in the wrong places. We should all understand that, huh? Many of us have lived that. Jesus wasn't phased by it. We shouldn't be either. It's very normal. You know, occasionally people will say to me, because I'm a pastor and all that, like, Sarah, this will really shock you. I say, mm, let, let, let's hear it. I don't think it's going to surprise me too much, frankly. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. We fill our hurts in unhealthy places. It's very normal. And she was tired. 
That's something we can all understand too. She was tired. She said, yes, I want real water. This is not working for me. I'm a social outcast. I mean, when you've had five or six men in the village, I mean, that's, hmm. You're not going to be friends with the other women in the village after having six men there. She was tired. She had real issues, real problems. How many of us have been hurt? How many of us have been bone tired? How many of us have tried some substitutes? You know, I think there's some of us listening who have like eight substitutes. Chocolate, movies or TV, work, working harder. Revenge fantasies, fishing for compliments, manipulating others. We got so many substitutes, we can top it off with a big glass of wine or some expensive purchases to make you feel better. But Jesus names it. And Jesus says, before I give you the real thing, I want to help you identify the false thing. You give me what does not satisfy, I'll give you the thing that does satisfy. And lastly, I love this story because Jesus gave her a voice and good news to share. She is changed. Like, and we, as Christians, we can sometimes think, yeah, yeah, she met Jesus. She met Jesus. Of course she's changed. But she's not just changed spiritually. She's changed socially too. She has value and capital and a voice and a story and good news. So how does this apply to us? How does this apply to us? How does this inform how we do conversations and relationships and life? Well, number one, I think we are all on a spiritual journey. People want Jesus. They just don't know it. The Bible says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's amazing how many people don't believe it. They actually think, eh, the harvest is not plentiful. There are lots of workers out, out there. and People aren't that interested in God or spiritual things. It's not true. And that's on us. That's a mindset that we need to change. It's on us for thinking that our neighbors are shallow and materialistic. It's on us for thinking that they don't have any problems that they could ever use help with. That's naive and ignorant. It's on us for thinking that they have no interest in talking about deep things. That's a negative opinion about them. Jesus met this woman where she was at. And her problems and her hurt and her stress, all of that brought her to Jesus. I think about a friend I had a couple of years back. Her name was Aileen. And um, very, very pretty girl, cute, petite, blonde. She was working on her doctorate in chemistry. Now, how many people do you know who are working on their PhD in chemistry? How many people do you know who are very attractive, cute, petite blondes? Probably very few in either category. And she was in both categories. I assumed that she had it all together. She ran half marathons. I was frankly a little intimidated. Yeah, I wasn't sure she'd really want to be friends with me. We were um, later 20s. She partied a little bit more uh, th than I did. And I kind of assumed... She just really had it all together and didn't have that much 
need for Jesus. Um, but we'd, we'd get together occasionally, go out for coffee or something like that. And uh, as we started to form a friendship, I realized um, we were talking and she was raised by her grandma in church. So she had a little background, a, a little taste of church and spiritual things. You know, no one else was talking to her about this. They were talking about things that are way too smart for me or, you know, their, their latest uh, half marathon time was way, way out of my league. Maybe beauty tips also way, way out of my league. But no one else was talking to her about her soul, where she stood with God, faith, forgiveness, the person of Jesus Christ. She was actually quite eager to talk to me about these things. We got to pray together a couple of times. Um, I moved to um, back to New, New England um, five years ago. We've kind of fallen out of touch since then. But she just really showed me. I mean, gorgeous chemistry doctoral student. She really showed me that we are all on a spiritual journey. And I cannot assume, no matter how much you have it all together, that you don't want Jesus. Because our souls need Jesus. I think the second thing that this story tells us is that we are the people God chooses. You are the person God will send to talk to someone else. You're it. Jesus should not have been talking to the Samaritan woman. There were three or four very obvious reasons why he should not have been talking to her. Listen, if Jesus wasn't the right person to talk to this woman, then none of us will be the right person. But all of us are the right person. <laughs> I don't know if you follow me there, but what I'm saying is, if Jesus had reasons to not talk to her about spiritual things, all of us will have excuses, reasons, asterisks, why God should choose somebody else. Someone else will be better suited to the job. But it's our privilege in the kingdom of God to be the one who reaches out and gets to have these special moments. And then number three, God will create opportunities for going deeper. The world does not need more opinions or, or sound bites, but it is desperately in need of honesty, forgiveness, love, joy, peace, faith. Uh, you know, really in need of assurance, eye contact, vulnerability, and hope. God will create these opportunities. I think of one of my friends when we were living in Providence, where we were, we we lived in Providence, Rhode Island, right before uh, we moved to Hopkinton, and uh, I was friends with a um, Asian American girl. Um, she'd been in the country from China for a number of years. Really, just enjoyed her. I lived in China for for three years, so we got to talk about you know wonderful food and and everything like that. And we'd been friends for a couple of months, and uh, she she knew that I was a Christian, she knew uh, all of that stuff, but we just really had never talked about anything spiritual um, before. And I kind of been thinking like, mm, you know, what should I say? What should I do? I should do, do something, right? Um, and then the, uh, the zoo in Providence, Rhode Island, <coughs> um, it's possible that some of you listening have actually been there. They have this huge uh, jack-o'-lantern thing around uh, 
Halloween and are just thousands and thousands of pumpkins carved as jack-o'-lanterns. So we, we went to that and we just, you know, looked at them and wandered around and, you know, whatever. And um, we're driving back. And uh, so she says to me, she's like, do you believe in ghosts? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I gave her whatever my answer was for that, blah, blah, blah. And um, then I said, well, actually, what I really believe in is God. I believe that he guides us and cares for us and loves us. And then we can receive what our hearts and our souls need from God. I very much believe that there is a supernatural realm out there. But I'm not talking about ghosts or, or evil or spirits. What I'm talking about is a loving, all-powerful God who came in the person of Jesus Christ and lived as one of us, died, took on the worst parts of human life, came back to life again to make a way for new life for us, that God is close to us and God offers us forgiveness and hope and a new start when we start to follow him, when we follow in his, his path. So, and it just opened up very clearly. Yeah, I believe that there's a supernatural. But this is what I think it looks like. Not just, you know, astrology or uh, good luck or, or other, other little things like that. Um, but she brought it up. And I would have never thought that just a car ride back from the zoo would have been where it happened. You know, God will create opportunities for going deeper. We believe that God is working in everyone. So it's really just our job to find out where. We find out where God is working by asking good questions, by turning the conversation to Jesus. So sometimes I'll ask people, you know, what's your faith background? You, did you go to church? Have you been to church? What do you think of it? What do you think of this? What, what do you think of that? What's your faith background? Are there any significant spiritual experiences or milestones that you can remember? Like, let's talk. Like, I want to hear about people, what they've been through, right? Or I'll say, where are you at with God now? Let's actually take stock of this. I, I want to know this is, you know, important in your life. I want to know about you. Where are you at with God now? I am often asking people, you know, if there's anything I can pray for them for. I want to care for them spiritually. People like getting prayer. Even if they don't really truly believe it, they're like, eh, why not? Couldn't hurt, right? And then ultimately, you know, if I'm inviting people to a Bible study or a life group or a church or, or something, you know, I'll ask people, you know, would you be open to exploring what God might have for you? Are you open to trying this? Is this something you're open to? And then I think we have to be okay with some tension in it. Bringing up real conversations can be hard. It can be awkward. There'll be that little threshold of awkwardness. We have to get through that door of awkwardness as our friends kind of recalibrate like, oh, we're going here. We have to enter over that threshold of, of awkwardness as we move into real things. You know, I just encourage you guys, most of your neighbors, friends, co-workers know that you are a Christian and um, don't, don't leave them guessing as to what that means. Don't let them assume. 
there's a whole world out there that doesn't know what being a Christian is all about. Don't leave them in the dark. Don't let them guess what kind of a Christian you are. Bring it up. Even if there's some tension, there's some awkwardness, like naming that elephant in the room ourselves. Take the initiative to, to bring it up. But it's up to us not to make our friends and neighbors and coworkers guess what being a Christian means to us. It's up to us to tell them that it's about Jesus. It's about a God who loves us without boundary and reservation, who comes to us in all the things we go through in our life. A God who is never shocked or surprised by mess or messiness, but who wants to meet us in the midst of it. It's about a God who will go to any lengths, who will pay any price to do life with us. It's about a God who forgives and restores gives us a second, third, fourth, fifth, hundredth chance at life. And that Jesus loves us and wants to give us his power and his presence in our life. Because good things happen when people get into conversations with Jesus. When we meet Jesus, we realize that our mistakes are tiny compared to God's purposes and plans for us. When we meet Jesus, we realize that there is power and presence that changes us. When we meet Jesus, we realize we have a lifeline to spirit and truth. As Christians, we follow the path of love. Jesus talked to this woman at the well because he cared for her, cared for her more than social boundaries, cared for her more than what his disciples would think of him. Jesus, what the heck are you doing? Cared for her more than his own reputation. Love compelled Jesus. We want to let love compel us to something bigger too. As we end this message, I want to invite you to spend just one or two more minutes with, with us listening for a step of love that Jesus is calling you to. Remember, everyone is on a spiritual journey. God is working in everyone. You are the right person for the job. You are who God chooses, and God will create opportunities. It's not about us. It's about God's love for those around us. So I want to invite you right now, right where, wherever you are, just spend a minute or two listening for God to speak some action to you because he knows he knows what to do. He's got the best ideas and then to step out and and do it. So God could be calling you to pick up the phone, invite friends over, bring a meal, bring a dessert, help your neighbors with something. I think there's some step of love that the Holy Spirit's calling each one of us to today. So right where, where you are right now, let's turn our hearts to Jesus and ask him what he's calling us to. Jesus, right now, I open my heart and my mind to you. Just, give, just turn your internal posture and openness to the Holy Spirit. You can take a couple of deep breaths if you want. Jesus, I ask that you would show me a step of love 
that you have for me today. Pay attention to any thoughts, ideas, longings or urges that come to your mind. And Jesus, right where, wherever we are right now, we thank you that we follow a path of love, that you have stepped out in love for us. We want to follow your way. We want to be empowered and live and walk in your way of love, Jesus. Thank you that nothing in life surprises you. Coronavirus has not taken you by surprise. You are in control we pray for opportunities to go deeper in this time. Would you guide me, Jesus, to be a light and a blessing to those around me? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much, friends. Um, I just encourage you um, in the upcoming days um, that God is working. Jesus has good things for us and for those around us. Even in this crazy time, this coronavirus week, there are opportunities to build the great relationships that bring us into an abundant life that Jesus wants for us. Thank you so much, friends. Please uh, Facebook message us, email, call, uh, stay, stay in contact. And most of all, trust that God is working and follow the path of love. Thanks.